Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, it has been more than two weeks since Donald Trump said he was going to get us a health care program. Actually, it's been more than three. It's been almost it's been more than four years. Really, he started with this. I will give you something better than Obamacare at no cost. Right. But a bump on a serious note, Governor Mike DeWine, no spring chicken. He's 73 years old, just tested positive for the coronavirus. He took this test as part of the uh, protocol to meet Trump at the uh, airport in Cleveland. He's going to Clyde, Ohio. I don't know if he's going to do a mini rally or if he's just going to go hang out with a bunch of rich people. But Mike DeWine has tested positive. The lieutenant governor, John Husted, tested negative, took the COVID test. DeWine's spokesman, uh, Dan Tierney, says it wasn't known Thursday where the governor might have contracted the virus. He's kept a small circle, he says. Keep in mind, Oklahoma's governor, Kevin Stitt, announced several weeks ago that he had coronavirus. The state prison director in Ohio, Annette Chambers-Smith, has announced that she has COVID. She had a test after feeling some symptoms. This back on June 23rd, they were all tested. All three of these people, DeWine, Fran, and Husted, were tested during a press conference. Those tests all came back negative. But now he's got it. I wanted to share with you, we were talking in the previous hour about exactly what other countries do. I shared with you the story of South Korea, and I thought it's a really good one, it's a really important one, and people need to know how this works. What other countries have developed is public health SWAT teams. And they are taking this very seriously. They don't want their people dying. They know that, I shared this with you last week, this most recent study that found when they did MRIs, they just took 100 people who had recovered from COVID They were all people who had it bad enough that they had to go to the hospital, but only three out of the 100 ever had to be intubated. So these were people who basically just felt really sick, went to the hospital, got oxygen. I mean, this is pretty much the only therapy now, Uh, maybe some remdesivir, although I think they give that later in the course of the disease, and, uh, you know, and recovered. And so they collected these people and they did MRIs on them, magnetic resonance imaging. It's like an x-ray, only instead of looking at hard tissue, at bones, it looks at soft tissue. So you can look at muscles. And what they found with these MRIs was that over 70% of these people who had had COVID now have heart disease. And none of them had it before. This had nothing to do with pre-existing conditions associated with the heart. In fact, they filtered out people with pre-existing conditions for this study. So, I mean, other countries are taking this seriously. So this uh, this was posted on Facebook and maybe two weeks ago. And it was posted by an American who lives in Italy. You know, there's American expats who live all over the place. This is, you know, a guy speaks English, has, you know, American perspectives, you know, sharing with us what happened. And he said, many people are asking how we were able to have concerts and other public events in Italy in the summer, this summer, 2020. And they are. They, or they were. (laughs) He said, we took drastic measures. This is not a full list, but here's what I can remember. We were quarantined in our homes for about 10 weeks. This was enforced by the federal government countrywide, even though some regions had very few cases of COVID. During the lockdown, only one person per family was allowed out at a time. 
When that one person went out, they had to carry with them, and this is an Italian word, autodicirazioni, which is a form. He said it's a form that needs to be filled out every time you go out, and it has to be dated and signed. You had to explain who you were, where you live, and, and, and where you reside, if it's a larger building, where you were going, and why you were going out. So you had to fill this form out before you leave your house so that when you get stopped, you can hand it to the person who stops you, right? The, the, the police officer. And he said the only reason that you are permitted to leave your house was for food shopping, medical necessity, or if you were an essential worker. You were not permitted to leave your town borders except under extreme circumstances that had to be documented. You could be stopped by the police at any time and required to show the auto dichiarazioni or other documents. He said Matt, uh, his associate, his colleague or friend or whatever, was stopped twice in our town of around 8,000 people. If you didn't meet the criteria or were caught outside your town borders, there were fines up to 3,000 euros, be about $3,500, $4,000. I think, frankly, if Joe Biden wins the election and becomes president, we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to shut down the country and flush this entire country, all 340 million of us, flush the virus out. We're going to have to stamp down every little bit of it. We can't go to a plateau of 20,000 new cases a day like we did for three months under Donald Trump and think that's okay. That's like a house catching on fire and you put out most of the flames, and, but there's still all these smoldering embers in the basement. I know that you know, this is the metaphor that uh, even Trump uses. Um, but, uh, and then just say, oh, that's cool. We got a bunch of embers in the basement. They're just uh, smoking away. Nothing, nothing to worry about. And what happens? You know, you get a little bit of wind and poof, they're, they turn into flames again. And then the house is back on fire again. And so you've, you've got to, uh, there's only two ways to do this. And the third world doesn't have a choice, by and large. Poor countries all over the world are doing lockdowns right now. They're doing required masks, all this kind of stuff. Their public health systems are overwhelmed. Their hospital systems are overwhelmed. Their medical systems are overwhelmed. They're crashing and burning. India has an absolute crisis. In Mumbai, they, I, I shared this with you the day before yesterday, they estimate that as many as 40% of the, of the people who live in that city which I believe is the biggest city in India. Maybe New Delhi is bigger, but I believe Mumbai is the largest. Been to both many times. Not 40% of the entire city, but 40% of all the people living in the slums have this. So that's one way to deal with the coronavirus is to get herd immunity. The problem with that, and, that's, and this may well also be the problem with any vaccine, is that every coronavirus we've seen in the past whether it's SARS or MERS or the common cold. See, the coronavirus that we regularly infect ourselves with is the common cold. It's a different category of coronavirus, but it's a coronavirus, as opposed to an influenza virus, which is a whole different family of viruses, if I'm using the right word. I don't know if family is the right word. Kingdom order, phylum, <laughs> class, species, whatever. In any case, genus. The resistance doesn't last. You get a cold in February, a coronavirus common cold in February, you can get it again in May. You can get it again in September. And so we don't know yet if the resistance that we're seeing to the coronavirus in these lab animals and in these people who have had it and recovered from it or who have had a vaccine and produced an immune response, we don't know if that immune response is going to last more than six months or more than a year, or more than two years. We just don't know. And we won't know. I mean, if Donald Trump's October surprise is that he's going to roll out a vaccine, I mean, typically it takes 10 years to develop a vaccine. You have to give it to progressively larger numbers, larger and larger numbers of people, then one year out, two years out, three years out, four years out. At each point, you test to see if they still have immunity. This is how we discovered that you have to have a booster shot for measles, mumps, and rubella. Virtually every disease, you know, tetanus, you have to have a tetanus shot every five years. Why? Because the immunity fades. We have no idea how long the immunity will last for the coronavirus. So if a country 
is going to do what basically India is doing in the slums of Mumbai, which is go with a herd immunity strategy. Let the virus burn through the population. Let it kill off. And, and this was, by the way, apparently, according to multiple news reports, this was actually the strategy that Donald Trump and Jared Kushner came up with back in, in April. This was right after that April 6th, April 7th date when it got reported to everybody in the United States that blacks and Hispanics were disproportionately dying of coronavirus. That next week, and I've, I've talked about this a million times, I've, I've written, I wrote an op-ed about it a while ago. It was, it was like a light switch was tossed. In March, as the coronavirus, as we went from one case to five cases to 20 cases to 100 cases to 1,000 cases, and then we went from one death to five deaths to 15 deaths to 70 or 80 deaths, I think we were at fewer than 200 deaths when Trump declared a state of emergency and basically said, shut the country down. Now, they didn't enforce it the way the Italians did, but still, it slowed things down dramatically. And we said, throughout this, we were seeing this explosion in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. And Trump and the Trump administration and the public health officials and Fauci and everything, they were all on the same page. We've got to get this under control. We've got to stamp out the virus. Throughout March, or at least the last three weeks of March and the first week of April. And then suddenly in the second week of April, everything changed. Suddenly in the second week of April, the Trump administration is saying, we can reopen the economy. Suddenly in the second week of April, FreedomWorks, you know, one of the organizations funded by right-wing billionaires, says, we have to reopen the country. Suddenly in the second week of April, in the third week of April, you get these armed goons showing up in blue states, yelling at case of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, you know, the female governor, you know, we're not going to take this. We, you know, no mask. We need to open up. What happened? Well, April 7th was the day that it was reported in the front page of the New York Times, the front page of the Washington Post, on CNN, on MSNBC, on Fox News, on ABC, NBC, and at CBS television. Every place. It was reported in my local newspaper, The Oregonian. It was reported that white people weren't dying as frequently as black people and Hispanic people. And suddenly, the Trump administration changed their tune. Oh, maybe this herd immunity, maybe there's something to it. And Jared Kushner, basically, according to the news reporting, you know, said, well, hey, if it's only killing people in the blue states, I mean, it's New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, we don't care about them, do we? Just let them die. So, you know, the United States has adopted this herd immunity strategy that poor countries, in many cases, have no choice but to adopt. And with herd immunity, of course, first it kills off the old people and the people who have chronic conditions, the people who are obese, the people who have diabetes, the people who have heart disease. There's a debate over whether asthma is a pre-existing condition that makes you more at risk for, for dying from COVID. There was a report published just this week that said there doesn't appear to be a correlation. But you know, the, the primary pre-existing conditions we know about, the main things that will cause somebody who gets this coronavirus, regardless of how old they are, to get very sick or die from it, are being overweight, having diabetes, or having heart disease. And so it burns through that. And then in the process, you get all these incidental deaths and incidental problems. You get people who, you know, in their, in their teens, in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s. I mean, we, you had a, t a teenager down in Florida who had a stroke this week from getting COVID. People get strokes. People get heart, permanent heart damage. People are, are suffering, you know, months after they, quote, recovered. They still have no energy. They can't get out of bed. It's like permanent chronic fatigue syndrome. And again, we don't know if this is going to last for six months or for the rest of their lives. I mean, if they've had a stroke, it's the rest of their lives. That teenager in Florida is walking with a cane now, partially paralyzed from a stroke, from getting COVID. So what do you do in Italy? Back to the Italian criteria. If you're caught outside your town borders, I mentioned this is the last thing I read, there could be fines up to 3,000 euros and potential jail time. Masks were required. This is from this Facebook post by a, an American living in, an American expat living in Italy through this quarantine period in March. He said masks were required in all spaces, indoors and out during the lockdown. When you went to a store, you had to use hand sanitizer, then put on gloves afterwards. He said it took me a long time to master putting fruit and veggies into a thin plastic bag while wearing thin plastic gloves. He said, people gathering in groups, even just two people chatting in the square and at a six-foot distance, 
were broken up by the police immediately. Socializing was not permitted more than a passing hello. There was also a curfew, basically sunrise to sunset. People with dogs were permitted to walk them, but only within 200 meters of their home. During the lockdown, the government released daily figures telling us by region and town how many were diagnosed with COVID. This is another problem we have now. Now that Trump moved all of the data reporting, the hospital data reporting, he used to go to the CDC and the CDC used to compile and publish the, the statistics every day. Trump rerouted that to Alex Azar's Health and Human Services Department. Alex Azar, the former head of Eli Lilly, who, the guy who doubled the price of insulin, is he put him in charge of Health and Human Services. And now we don't have access to the data anymore. You know, in Italy, they were literally publishing it every day. He said it was all very transparent and new figures were released every day. Tests were free, of course. The entire medical system here is not for profit. What do we have to do if and when a new administration comes in or if this administration decides to wake the hell up? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ed in Tampa, Florida. Hey, Ed, what's up? comment about the lack of contact tracing here in Florida, and I'll take your condolences for living here, but my son had his 16th birthday 10 days ago. We didn't have a party or anything, but he saw one of his friends out on the street in our neighborhood, talked for a little Mm -hmm. bit. They didn't have their masks. It was unplanned. The kid gave him like a little slap, happy birthday. 
we found out yesterday the kids positive for COVID. Now, in oh, a geez. real country, in a real country, okay, we would have been notified, right, by contact yeah. tracers. By the way, your son's been in contact with somebody else, has the virus. We have heard nothing. Zero. Okay? Jeez. And now he's all upset. Should he go get the test? I'm saying now it's 10 days out. I'm a doctor. I said we're probably in the safe zone by now. But this is a horrible way to be running this pandemic. And you know and I know why, right? Well, uh, so. let's speculate about why. I mean, it seems to me, Ed, after watching Trump on Fox News, and he literally said, this is just going to go away like all things do. <laughs> right. And and. And I have to believe at this point that he actually believes that. He thinks this is going to be like, well, the flu of 1918 by 1920, it was gone, right? <laughs> you know, the world had herd immunity and it moved on. And the coronavirus is going to do the same thing. And there's absolutely no evidence for that. And so we've got a guy in the White House who's living in a world of magical thinking. And then he's being pushed really hard by groups like Freedom Works, you know, that brought us the Tea Party, this, this Coke invention. Uh, you know, from the Koch brothers, Freedom Works. I, you know, I, I'm getting emails from them two, three times a week saying, you know, it's time to open the economy. It's time to open our schools. We, you know, we got to put people back to work because the billionaires need the the income. You know, and uh, it's it's like, wow, it's a, the perfect storm, Ed. As well, a see, physician, I got, how does it appear I, I got to you? this theory after you saw him flipping around those charts with Jonathan Swan the other day. I'm sort of convinced right. that he's not even given the right information. They're feeding him stuff to keep him happy. I think that's true. And I think that they do it because they know if they don't do it, they get fired and replaced by somebody who will. And, you know, he went through that cycle so many times with all his chiefs of staff that he finally found a chief of staff in Mark Meadows. You know, again, a guy who owes his political career to money from the Koch brothers and their friends. Um, who is just an absolute toady. He, he takes the money and he does what he's told. And, and, you know, what he's being told by Trump is don't give me bad news. So he doesn't give him bad news. Well, listen, thanks it's, for listening uh, to me and pray for us in Florida. Yeah. Because I saw him yesterday last night. He was telling how great Ron DeSantis and Rick Scott were. I'm a registered Republican only so I can vote against them in the primary. I'm <laughs> an undercover Democrat. Okay. <laughs> good, good on you, Ed. All right. Thanks a lot yeah, for the man. call. God bless you. Yeah, great. To, yeah, thank you. Back at you, Ed. Tim in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Hey, Tim, what's up? Good morning, Mr. Tom. I've got one quick uh, explanation I'd like to hear from you. What do you think will be the end result of this COVID-19 in humankind? I personally am of the belief that every human on planet Earth will eventually come in contact or contract that disease. And you're either, either your internal defenses have got all the vitamins, et cetera, that it need to battle back, or they don't, in which case you will show symptoms and maybe it'll kill you. But what's your theory on it, Tim? I, I you know, this is a uh, this is a debate that's being played out in the world right now. I saw an article in the New York Times a couple of days ago that in the slums of Mumbai, uh, what used to be called Bombay, uh, one of the largest slums in the world, they think that they've got around a fifty percent infection rate. That they're approaching herd immunity, which would be a little over seventy percent. Um, you know, but the the as a consequence of that. You know, they've got tens of thousands of dead people. I mean, corpses rotting on the ground. Um, it's just mind-boggling. Uh, you know, the, the world as a whole is either going to address this the way that Europe has, the way that Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan, South Korea, you know, probably about 60 countries now have addressed this, uh, uh, Iceland. Uh, you know, they're either going to address this and stamp it out and become COVID-free zones or it's going to go from ende- from pandemic to endemic. In other words, it's always there and it's always available and, and, and threatening everybody, which is what you're describing. And my guess is that we're going to end up with two worlds. We're going to have a first world and third world kind of situation. Only it's not going to be what we used to refer to or a first world and second. The second world used to be the communist world. They're, they're toast now. So basically, we're going to have two worlds. We're going to have the COVID world 
which is going to be the countries that didn't do anything about it seriously. And those are going to be like the autocracies. And whether or not the United States is going to be one of those or not is going to depend in large part on this election. And then you're going to have the non-COVID world. And the non-COVID world are going to develop trading zones. They're going to develop tourism zones. Uh, you're going to see a change in, in air travel. Um, I mean, you know, right now, if, if, if you want to fly, you know, if you want to fly to Europe, if you're an American, you can't do it. If you're from Australia, no problem. And welcome back. So just to, to finish up what happened in Italy, this is again from this Facebook post from this fellow who was living in Italy. He says, all these restrictions were for the general not infected population. If someone is diagnosed positive for COVID, a whole new and more strict set of rules were imposed, including complete isolation quarantine, special handling of trash, special delivery of food and other necessities, and other regulated details. Local businesses that previously didn't deliver went out of their way to, contact, to provide contact-free and usually free delivery to the town and surrounding areas to help people stay home. For example, we had tomato season, seasonings and gelato delivered to us. He says, he writes, there were significant government programs to help people manage rent and mortgage suspensions, suspension of electric and utility bills, grants for businesses, Grants for food shopping. By the way, this morning, uh, Jim Cramer on CNBC was interviewing Nancy Pelosi. And he was talking about how, well, I think that, you know, Republicans and Democrats, we all agree that, that uh, you know, the, there has to be uh, something, you know, for the average person, right? Uh, and let's see if I can find the exact quote. Yeah, I don't have the exact quote. But anyhow, Nancy Pelosi responded. She said, uh, no, she says, perhaps you mistook them for somebody who gives a damn for what you just described. And uh, Kramer goes, oh, Jesus. Literally, that's what he said. So anyway, this is back to Italy. So basically, they helped out their people. And he said, for about 10 weeks, they relaxed. After about 10 weeks, they relaxed the rules somewhat based on the fact that we had flattened the infamous curve to the point where the hospitals were not overwhelmed. For a week or two after that, we were allowed to travel within our region, but absolutely not allowed to cross state borders. The, the regions in Italy are like states in the United States. After the initial reopening, when numbers didn't skyrocket, skyrocket, they allowed us to travel freely in the country. In the meantime, rules have relaxed a little bit, but basically people are still wearing masks and all those kind of things. You know, I think we're going to have a new normal frankly, at least over a couple of year period. And the World Health Organization a few days ago said, plan on four years of this new normal. We're going to figure out new ways to do business. There's going to be some businesses that prosper in this and uh, many businesses, probably the, the majority of businesses that were based on the old model of people getting together, whether it's in a movie theater or a bar or a restaurant or a nightclub or a, a, a shopping mall, uh, you know, or a, a, a people are fleeing now apartment buildings. You know, houses are really, really hot. A friend of mine uh, sent me a note a couple of days ago saying uh, my son lives in Portland and he's renting and he and his wife would like to buy a house. Do you know of any? And I said, I, I really don't. The market's crazy. And then he sent me a link the next day to a, uh, to a really nice home in North Portland. In fact, it was kind of in the neighborhood where, where one of my kids lived. And this home was, it was about 700 grand. It was a really nice home. And I mean, 700 grand in Portland gets you basically a middle-class bungalow with two bedrooms and two baths. I said, well, that looks nice. It's a you know, very pretty house. It shows well. And he texted me back the next day saying uh, it sold for $100,000 over the asking price. People are fleeing apartment buildings. There is a new normal coming. And you know, we've, we've got to get our hands around this. So at the same time that Italy was doing all this stuff that I just described to you, here's what Donald Trump was doing. First of all, January 21st, we got it totally out of control. It's one person coming from China. 28th of January, he had a rally in New Jersey. On January 30th, he had a rally in Iowa in which he said, we've got it very much under control. On February 1st, he played golf. On February 2nd, he played golf and he said, we pretty much shut it down. It's coming from China. On February 10th, he had a rally in New Hampshire. And uh, on February 14th, he said, we have a very small number of people in the country right now. It's like around 12. We're in good shape. 
On February 15th, he played golf. On February 19th, he had a rally in Arizona. On February 20th, a rally in Colorado. February 21st, rally in Nevada. February 25th, people are getting better. They're all getting better. February 26th, and then it's 15 people in a couple days. It's going to be down to zero. February 28th, coronavirus, this is the new hoax. You'll be fine. March 2nd, we're going to have vaccines very soon. March 3rd, not only vaccines, but therapies. Therapies is another word for wonder cure. March 4th, we're talking about very small numbers in the United States. March 6th, I don't need to have the numbers doubled because of one ship that wasn't our fault. I like the numbers where they are. March, and it goes on. I mean, I could, I could, I could share the whole list with you, but it would just, you know. And now he's saying it's just going to go away. He said this literally every month since January, at least once. It's just going to go away. Because he thinks that this coronavirus is like the flu. It is not like the flu. The flu virus is a very fragile, actually, virus particle. It doesn't survive well in air that has a lot of moisture in it. And it doesn't survive well, principally it's moisture. It also doesn't do well, the warmer the air is, the, you know, it doesn't do well either. But the principal thing that causes the flu virus to go away in the summer is the fact that there's more moisture in the air. You get relative humidity levels that run, you know, 30, 40, 50, in some places, 60%. In the winter, because we have air conditioning and because cold air doesn't hold as much moisture as warm air does, humidity, relative humidity levels go down and the flu, the flu virus can circulate more easily. So yeah, the flu goes away and new flus come out every season. This coronavirus, I don't think this is gonna go away. We're seeing it all over the world regardless of season. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Alyssa Milano is, you know, a fairly big deal actor. She was in Melrose Place. Uh, She was in Charmed, in Who's the Boss, uh, Wet Hot American Summer, 10 Years Later, Insatiable, et cetera, et cetera. She thought she had coronavirus. And she tested for it, and the test came back negative, but she was sick. And they said, no, you don't have it. You're just just sick. And they sent her home. So she has posted this. I'm assuming this was posted on Facebook. It got reposted by tblue37 over on democraticunderground.com, which is where I'm getting this from. But this is what she wrote. She said, this is me. This was me on April 2nd after being sick for two weeks. Apparently there's a picture. I had never been this kind of sick. Everything hurt. Loss of smell. It felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't keep food in me. I lost nine pounds in two weeks. I was confused. Low-grade fever. And the headaches were horrible. I basically had every COVID symptom. At the very end of March, I took two COVID-19 tests and both were negative. I also took a COVID antibody test, the finger prick test, after I was feeling a little bit better. Negative. After living the last four months, lingering symptoms, this is what I was talking about earlier. You know, we don't know how long it takes to even recover from this because people are saying, you know, it's been four months and I still have it. Well, this is, you know, Elizabeth, uh, Alyssa Milano. After living the last four months with vertigo, stomach abnormalities, irregular periods, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, zero short-term memory, and general malaise, I went and got an antibody test from a blood draw, not a finger prick, from a lab. And I am positive for COVID antibodies. I had COVID-19. I just want you to be aware that our testing system is flawed and we don't know the real numbers. I also want you to know this illness is not a hoax. I thought I was dying. It felt like I was dying. I will be donating my plasma with hopes that it might save a life. Please take care of yourselves. Please wash your hands and wear a mask and social distance. I don't want anyone to feel the way I felt. Be well. I love you. Well, maybe not the trolls, just the kind people. Alyssa Milano. She was born in 1972. That would make her roughly in her late 40s, right? 48, if I'm doing my math right. This This is nothing to mess with. This is, this is a very, very serious, consequential, nasty, nasty disease. John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, what's up? 
It wasn't exactly true that they merged in Taiwan. I'm talking about in Taiwan, you know, were really invasive in their privacy of, of merging the cell phone data into a person's account and into their public health record. That's what they did. It was between immigration and the health care service of Taiwan. They did it for a few weeks only to contact trace. It was a very efficient way of contact tracing. And, you know, I am a, a civil libertarian, but, you know, I do think that that was a good way, contact tracing, because, you know, the uh, this is an exceptional situation, a pandemic. So I don't condemn Taiwan for doing that. And I think the result was that they only had like eight deaths out of 25 million and very few cases. They were, I think, the most efficient country in locking down the virus. And as a result, they never had to lock down the economy. Yeah, they did a spectacular job. Completely agree, John. You know, we established here in the United States back in the, uh, I think, in the early 19th century, that public health laws trump privacy laws. And, yes. Uh, oh, so, I didn't know that. And, yes. Yeah, I mean, in fact, I believe the Supreme Court heard a case on this that had to do with venereal disease. Yeah, this goes way, way back. It goes back to the era of tuberculosis. But yeah, absolutely. Straightforward stuff, in fact. Okay, John, thanks for the call. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, 600 bucks a week. Yeah, well, what I was going to say about that is, um, you know, they, they've been saying that this is, People are being overpaid with $600 a week. But if you think about it, 40-hour week, $600 a week is $15 an hour. And right. in fact, that most people that are out of work are in that $14, $15, $16 a range. And yeah, sure, people who are working for minimum wage in some of these red states would be getting more than they would working. But if you didn't have it that high, the people who are making more money wouldn't have enough. I think that's what they are really counting on is that, let me just use this, Lincoln's syllogism. Remember, uh, you can fool all of the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all the time, and but you, can fool, you can't fool all the people all the time. Right. It's catching up with um, them. Yeah, and, and there's, a, there's a, a meta story here, Paul, that I think is, uh, if, it was, if the Democrats thought this through strategically in advance, it was is brilliant. If they didn't, it was accidentally brilliant. And that is that if you've got 25 million people who are getting 600 million or $600 a week, or even 20 million, I've heard different numbers. Um, you get 20, 20, 25 million people getting 600 bucks a week. In other words, $15 an hour. Many of them not previously earning $15 an hour. Those people are now suddenly discovering how their life changes when they make a living wage. And it's gonna be really hard to go back from that, just like retired people getting social security. Um, you know, their lives, I mean, you know, this obviously happened back in the 1930s, but, but you know, there, we went from old people being the highest level of poverty in the United States to being the lowest level of poverty in the United States in a generation. And, and you know, these people are, are I, I, I think, you know, this, this experience of what basically 15 bucks an hour, $600 a week means, uh, you know, in terms of actual lived experience, I think this is going to make it really, really difficult for employers going forward to continue offering crap low-wage jobs, particularly when those jobs involve contact with the public. What well, correct. You, and, and you pointed out, Tom, that um, if there are people who are getting, uh, staying home, uh, getting unemployment, are making more than construction workers, then we got a wage problem with construction. And in fact, we got a wage problem exactly. with most of the lower uh, earning segment of the workforce. And let me finish up with what I was going to say about Lincoln syllogism is that, that we always think that the, you can't fool all the people all the time is the really, uh, oh, that was such a brilliant pro a grand proposition. But no, it's actually the minor proposition, the one that says you can fool some of the people all the time. That is right. the That's what the Republicans are counting on. Exactly. And that's why, that's why Stephen Moore, Tom, look at this. That's, that's why this guy is such a huckster. Tom, he's talking about cutting uh, the payroll tax. But you know what, Tom? If, if it was in, in Trump's best interest, if he wasn't floundering so terribly in the polls, if it was in their best interest to keep the kids home from school, they would do that because what they really want, they also want to destroy the public schools. And that's what we're right. doing. Oh, you know what just hit me, Paul? 
and I don't know why I didn't think of this when I was talking to Stephen Moore. He wants to take the payroll tax, end the payroll tax right now, replace it yeah. with the general fund. And this is, this is the holy grail of the Republicans since, since uh, the Reagan administration. Reagan proposed this, and uh, Patrick Moynihan blocked it, said, we're not going to do that. Um, but Reagan said, instead of having a separate Social Security trust fund so that we can you know, know how healthy the system is and they can't be means tested or anything like that, it doesn't become a welfare program, we're going to have it be a standalone program. And Reagan wanted to move um, the Social Security trust fund into the general fund so that when times are tight, the government could say, you know, we're going to have to cut back on Social Security payments because that's part of our austerity program. Right now, they can't legally do that. If Stephen Moore and his buddies can get the Social Security Trust Fund to be funded, as he said, with treasuries from the general fund, in other words, funded with, with, with the general fund, and then, you know, for a year or two, and then make that permanent, they will have turned Social Security from a from you know what it is right now, a so-called earned benefit, an entitlement. They will have turned it from that into a welfare program, which they can then begin to cut. This is step right. one. It yeah. just yeah. friggin' and the, hit me. And you were you were saying that what? The, lastly, I want to try to finish up. You were saying what is the effect of of uh, the virus going to be? I think it will be a long-term contraction of the workforce in contraction of the economy, as we discover while we're staying home, how many things we don't need. And I right. mean, for instance, I, I haven't gone out for a, to the brew pub in six months. I haven't had a beer in six months, Tom. I've saved a lot of money, and I probably put some uh, brewers out of business. No, not kidding. But the no, I, my, my credit card bill is is a third of what it was six months ago. Because we're not going we, out, we're not buying we, things. What they're looking, what they're looking for, Tom, is to find out what things we don't need because you're staying home. And the contraction will continue, and they'll just keep cutting. And they'll just say, hey, we don't need the commons. We don't need uh, – right. you know what I'm talking about. They, they will cut as many things as it is politically opportune to do. And if it were in Trump's best interest to keep the kids home from school, he'd be saying that too. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, Paul, i got to move along. But thank you for the call. Your contributions are always useful. Michael in Cassopolis, Michigan. Hey, Michael, what's up? Hey, you finally said you used to stay Cassopolis. How are you? Good. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy. I finally got the construction mortgage. It took me two years, and I don't want to think it was the color of my skin, but it took a long time. So I'm uh -huh. building a new house. It's going to be solar. Anyway, I just started a, a manuscript. I guess I can get it copyrighted, talking about some of the things that are going to be obsolete. And what I'm mm -hmm. thinking about is, like, handshakes, meat processing, indoor swimming, crowded Weddings and showers, crowded dance floors, kindergarten, crowded school buses. We may not even need school buses anymore. Church congregations, state and county fairs. All these things may become obsolete. And also, this thing they got on TV, they're calling baseball. That's not baseball. Baseball has the rhythmic cycle of the seasons. It starts in spring. It's outside. I could take a daughter. I could take a son to a game. We can pass hot dogs along like we used to, that's gone, okay? Mm -hmm. Having athletes out on the field with no spectators, I, I was a college athlete. There's nothing like making a spectacular play, having the crowd stand up and cheer you. Well, Michael, Michael, they, you know, given that it's outdoors, they could simply take out every other seat and require everybody to always wear a mask and space people as they're coming in and leaving the stadium. And you could still have crowds. I mean, you know, they're, they're doing that in, in, in Taiwan and South Korea right now. They're, they're playing sports games. And New Zealand, they, they just had a huge soccer match there. They better do something. They spent the last 30 years having the public pay for their stadiums. Okay, right. and they right. can't have them sit empty. So the public should demand. And I said meat processing. Our whole doc we're yeah. sick. We're a sick population. My doctor mentioned that the immunity in Asia, the Far East Pacific, is better than it is here. Our food stinks. My nephew, he's obese, and I'm trying to get him to understand. What did he tell me last night? I don't eat broccoli. You know, it's yeah. like yeah, obesity you know, can be a sign of mal malnutrition. I mean, there's a lot of things yeah. that can cause it, but malnutrition is one of the more common ones. He's malnourished because he's a thirty-something. He grew up in this era of not knowing what, you know, 
uh, garden right. vegetables like green beans, potatoes. You know, he, they don't know what it's like to go out and pick fruit off the tree like I did at the farm. In the middle of the day, you're hungry, go grab an apple. They don't have that anymore. All the small family farms around here in Michigan are gone. Yeah. We're Amazing. sick. Amazing. COVID is showing us that. COVID is showing us what we need to change. It is. It is absolutely absolutely spot on, Michael. This is one huge wake-up call for the entire country. Michael, thank you for the call. That was brilliant. And I loved some of your suggestions. I wrote a couple of them down. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Ryan in Spokane, Washington. Hey, Ryan, what's up? If the Republicans truly did care about the economy, this, this deity they call the economy, not only would they have shut us down like the rest of the industrialized nations did so we could get back to full swing as soon as possible, but they would be giving working class people stimulus so that we could go out there and spend it and that money would trickle up and it would still get to where it needs to go. And instead what they're doing is they're keeping us all down because they want us to be wage slaves. They don't want us to have freedom. They don't want us to see what it's like to not want. They want us to be down all the time so they can control us. I absolutely agree. And debt peonage is the new form of enslavement is probably too strong a word. I don't want to water that word down, but it's it's the new way of, of the ultra rich controlling the rest of us. It's a terrible thing. Paul, thank you. Well said. Robert in Price, Utah. Hey, Robert, what's up? 
Do you believe that we're going to uh, experience a tsunami of medical bankruptcies due to this virus? And what do you think that's going to do to us? Uh, I think that's very possible. That's one of the areas where there has been an absolute dearth, an absolute shortage, uh, lack, uh, absence of statistical data. I've never seen, uh, maybe there, maybe it's out there and I just haven't stumbled across it, but I, I spend a lot of time every day reading the news and sometimes reading rather obscure news. And I've never seen an analysis of how much this COVID uh, crisis is costing American consumer, healthcare consumers, in terms of, uh, you know, I, I, you get the anecdotes, you know, the, the, the one guy who got his COVID test and, you know, showed up at the ER for his test and it was $3,200. Uh, or the guy who just got discharged from the hospital and he got a $1.3 million bill for the two weeks he was in the, in the uh, ICU with a ventilator. Um, you get these anecdotes, but I don't know how many people this is going to be in total. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, obviously it's going to be a problem and obviously it's already a problem for many Americans. And as it moves into red states where you have much, much higher levels of people who are uninsured and don't even have Medicare uh, in, in most red states, then it's going to get even worse. But uh, Robert, if you can find any numbers on that, I'd love to see them. I, but I, you know, yeah, I, I think that it's, uh, it's coming. Robert, thank you for the call. Uh, Zeke in, in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Zeke, what's up? By the way, Zeke, yep, here in our town time. last night, the feds did not come out of their building. The state police provided security, and there was no violence. America well, imagine that. that. Imagine, imagine that. Yeah. Tom, the reason I called a, a couple of weeks ago, I heard you say kind of offhand uh, that you thought there was going to be an October surprise involving a vaccine. And I'm here yeah. to tell you that you, you had it exactly right. And I, I have done some research. And here's the deal. On the 22nd of April, there was a phone conversation reported in the UK Telegraph newspaper. Quote, Boris spoke to Donald Trump to discuss coronavirus and international trade. Now, we have to put it in context. On April 22nd, the virus Boris was Johnson raging in the UK. Yeah, Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the, United, of the United Kingdom, spoke to Trump on April 22nd to talk about the coronavirus. And we have to remember that the coronavirus was raging out of control at this point in both countries. And both of these guys had their right wing boy parts in a crack because they had mishandled their response to the coronavirus. So Boris says to Donald, and I'm just speculating here, but this is what happened. You know, we've got these people at the Jenner Institute, Adrian Hill, et cetera, at the Jenner Institute working on a vaccine. My man, Matt Hancock, my secretary of health, has completely trashed all those bothersome regulations about vaccine development. How would you like to have 300 million doses delivered to you in October? And Donald says, Yahoo. Now, May 15th, the National Institutes of Health, which is headed by this guy, uh, Francis Collins, who is a total Trump lackey, they announce, and this is key, that the monkey trials that were conducted at a research facility in Montana had shown that the rhesus macaque monkeys, given the, uh, the, the vaccine from Jenner, had prevented transmission in the monkeys. It was a lie. It was total lie. Uh, hmm. Dr. William Hasseltine, an American uh, science legend, wrote May 16th in that well-known purveyor of lefty propaganda, Forbes magazine, that all of the monkeys that were given the Jenner vaccine got the virus, every one of them. And they lied about this in a May 15th press release from the NIH. Now, you have to ask yourself, why would a British outfit that routinely heaps scorn on American scientists like William Hasseltine, and they have done this, uh, why would they bring their vaccine to the United States of America for the monkey trial? Well, because Donald Trump has figured out that he can reach into any crevice or cranny of the executive branch bureaucracy and destroy anyone who displeases him. And the people in that bureaucracy yeah. know this. So that's that's why that was done. Yeah, I don't I don't so, think we need to get get all this complex and convoluted, Zeke. I mean, the, the simple fact of the matter is that you don't know if a vaccine offers protection until people have been vaccinated, circulating in the population for a couple of years. Right. Or at least a year. 
And so I, I, it's just even if everybody in America was vac- you know, was vaccinated uh, by October, uh, we have no idea whether that's going to produce long term immunity. Plus, you've got people who are you know, wary of these vaccines in, in general. And then you got the specific. Uh, but I'm, I'm very concerned that they're going to roll out some, well, you know, half baked, half assed uh, thing. And uh, in fact, I think we can predict it, Zeke. What it's going to be, Tom, it's going to be presented to the American people who are just absolutely dying for hope. I mean, there's a lot of despair in this country. I don't think you can underestimate the effect that this will have. And I tell you, I've got this I, all I in a document. Right. I've got this all in a document. And if I if you will give me off the air a valid email address, I'll email you the document and you can consider I can't, what I you're I welcome to tweet down. it to me, Zeke. Uh, that's that's the best way to get things to them is to, is to tweet them. So now it's showing up in the obituaries, people in the throes of agony from losing someone close to them, typically an obituary is written by a, a family member, are writing things like, instead of flowers, donate to a Democrat, or instead of flowers, tell everyone to vote against Trump and the GOP this fall. It's becoming a national trend. You've probably seen these. I've seen at least a half a dozen of them, you know, published on various message boards and websites where somebody will come across it in their local newspaper, take a picture of it, and then post it or tweet it or Facebook it or, you know, whatever it may be. So America is mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, and in our mourning, we are using the traditional vehicle for that, the obituary, increasingly to call out Republicans and Donald Trump. But not everyone is mourning. Billionaire Rupert Murdoch and the multimillionaires that he hires to comment on his Fox network every night, multimillionaires, you know, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and, and Tucker Carlson, they're very happy uh, to hear them talk with the giant tax cuts and the deregulation that Donald Trump has given them. I mean, in exchange for that, they're giving support and, and publicity to Trump's lies. It's a, it's a clear quid pro quo, right? You know, Hannity is worth hundreds of, or, you know, tens of millions of dollars. I don't know, maybe over a hundred million dollars. Carlson is the same, you know. It's a, so you got these guys, they're worth lots and lots of money. You, Trump is giving them huge tax cuts. So, hey, you know, we love Trump. The extraordinary thing, though, is that Trump's lies about the coronavirus are encouraging older people who watch Murdoch's Fox News. The the average age of a Fox News viewer is 71. And these older people believe what they hear and see on Fox and thus go out and take chances. This was pointed out in one of the obituaries that was shared uh, fairly widely across the Internet about a week ago. In the obituary, they said, Dad watched Fox News every night, and so he thought there wasn't a risk, so he went to the store without a mask. And he came back with COVID, and now he's dead. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, this, is, this is what happens. I mean, you know, Fox News has been sued over this for wrongful death. And, and these people take chances, and they're dr- as a result, they're dying all over the country. And as they die... The billionaires and the giant polluting corporations who have funded the Republican Party since the Reagan Revolution are literally getting rich off the pandemic. The net worth of people in the United States whose net worth is worth over $10 million, that group of people, and it's only a few hundred thousand people, has increased by over a trillion dollars since the beginning of this year. So when you read about Trump bringing misleading and nonsensical charts and graphs, pieces of his big lie, to his interview with Axios' Jonathan Swan, and then when Jonathan Swan says, but you've got a thousand people a day dying, and Trump says, oh, but look at our death rates are going down. We're lower than any other country in the world. And, And Jonathan Swan looks at that and says, wait a minute, this is, you're comparing deaths to diagnosed cases. And yeah, we've, you know, so far we've got fewer people going into the hospital who die than in some of these other countries that got it earlier on. Why? Well, in part because just in the last month we've discovered that if you give people steroids, you cut the the death rate once they're on a ventilator by about 30%. 
And, you know, we're getting better at what we're doing. The other problem, and, and Swan didn't point this out, obviously, Trump didn't give him an opportunity to. He stepped on every sentence. It was like a Fox thing. But the other thing is that when a country is in an increasing stage of an epidemic, because the deaths follow about two to three weeks behind the hospitalizations, and the hospitalizations follow two or three weeks behind the diagnosed infection, for five or six weeks, as long as your numbers are going up, for, you know, you're going to have death rates that seem lower than that 1% that you know, is the generally used number. We have, we have four and a half million infections in the United States, if my memory serves me right. It, it goes up so rapidly. I think we're getting close to five million infections in the United States. At four and a half million, one percent, if we've got a one percent death rate, we should have 400,000 people dead. But we only have 155,000 people dead, which means that we're still in the upswing part of the curve, which means that another 300,000 people are going to die probably within the next two months if our numbers look like anybody else's in the world. Now, you know, we are, we do have good hospitals. We've got an advanced healthcare system, relatively speaking, at least if you can afford it. People are leaving the hospital with literally million dollar bills that they'll never be able to pay, but at least they're alive. And of course, that, like I said, that discovery of this cheap steroid preventing people from dying was a big deal. When Jonathan Swan pointed out to him that you're comparing death rates per case when you really need to be comparing death rates per population. You know, South Korea has a population of 51 million people. We have a population of 340 million. So they're about, what, one-sixth the size of the United States. The entire country, through this entire process, ever since January 20th when they diagnosed their first case and we diagnosed our first case, the entire country of South Korea has only had about 300 people die. We've had 155,000 die. Our death rate is insanely worse. So when Trump says this, and then Jonathan Swan says, but we have 1,000 people a day dying, and Trump says, well, it is what it is. You know, when he talks like that, we have to keep in mind why he would do that, why he would say that, what that thinking is. And first, of course, you've got the fact that Donald Trump doesn't care about average Americans. He doesn't care, frankly, about anybody except himself. But more importantly, neither do the giant corporations and the billionaires who helped put Donald Trump in office and are trying to keep him there through these right-wing organizations that are supporting him. And they're keeping virtually every Republican at every level of government in office all across the country. Their media empires, these billionaires' media empires, and, and make no mistake, they've got a whole bunch of them. They own the majority of the radio stations in the United States. They've got all kinds of websites. They've got multiple television networks. They're cranking out propaganda on the airwaves and the internet constantly to support Donald Trump and his lies. And meanwhile, the death cult that has become the Trump base, these people are really the saddest victims. And yeah, I get it. You know, you can get pissed off, you know, when they show up in a store and slap around the employee. You know, the, the one that's going viral right now is... A, a guy who goes into a Burger King and literally reaches across the counter and slaps the face of the, of the employee who's asking him to put on a mask. But these people are victims. They're getting sick, they're dying, and they're victims of this billionaire corporate crusade. And let's keep in mind, Donald Trump is one of these billionaire oligarchs to crush democracy and dismantle the American government. This is what Steve Bannon said Trump was going to do when he came into office. Deconstruct the administrative state. Take apart the American government. Leave it in shambles. Let some other country lead the world. And they're the ones whose obituaries, the, these victims of the Trump, you know, these Trump cult members who believe what they're hearing on right-wing hate radio and Fox News and then get sick or get their family members sick. And then a grieving family member writes an obituary saying Trump killed my grandpa. These are the people who believed Fox News and Donald Trump, they're victims. Until America again constrains the political power of these giant corporations and the billionaires they produce, we are continuing to be gaslighted. We're going to be continuing to be forced into work situations that are dangerous, and we're going to continue to die in massive 
numbers. And the next sociopathic Republican candidate for president, I think it's going to be Tom Cotton, is going to be worse. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And he's going to be worse because he's going to be competent and smart and he won't care what people think of him. None of which are true of Donald Trump. This could get real dangerous real fast. Todd, you got the last 30 seconds in Rockford, Illinois. Hey, Tom, I was just wondering if your thought if we could get our Democratic leaders to somehow persuade Captain Chaos to have all the kids get tested for COVID before they go back to the schools that he's trying to force us all to put our kids back in school. Yeah, here's the problem. That testing will be useful. You know, the information you get from that testing will be useful for about, what, three days, four days? Well, it's better than nothing, and though. Then, yeah, you know, I agree. I think that our schools are going to be open, which, number one, seems to me crazy. But it, and particularly given this, this report that came out in the Journal of American Medical Association, that children under five can have 100 times more virus in their nose than adults who are equally infected. That's crazy. But, you know, the way to do it would be to test every day in the schools. And had Trump back in January, February, March, April, May, June decided that, yeah, we should do that. Let's do use the Defense Production Act. You know, we could... Anyway, you know the rant. Special thanks, hey, to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick White, Geraldine Halbert, Dave Fulton, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, and Jabbermocky, the folks who helped make this show work. And to you, special thanks to you for being with us. Tell your friends about Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Tag your it.